Well, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn the book of Exodus, and Lord willing, this might be the, the next to last message in this. We're going we're gonna to kind of take Exodus chapter 34, speak a little bit about the tabernacle, but we're going to look at what God has said about himself next week. But as we think about this book, it's all about God's way out, and as we think about this book, in some ways, it's a, a very familiar book. A lot of the books in the Old Testament aren't quite as familiar, but we, we, we somewhat get Genesis. It's the beginning, and God creates it all, and then Exodus comes along, and now we, we see how God works with his chosen people, and in some ways, we're a little surprised by that because when we, we read about them, they're in slavery and thinking, well, if, <laughs> if that's what it means to be chosen by God, choose somebody else next time, right? Uh, because I, it seems like me that you ought to be setting me free in my entire life, and yet they were in bondage. And yet we remember a lot of the, the miraculous things that happened in this book is God pulls Moses out of uh, exile uh, in the desert and uses him to, to free his people. And you have the, the miraculous ten plagues and they get, out of, they get out of Dodge, they get out of Egypt and, and things are going pretty well. And then all of a sudden their, their enemies, the Egyptians and Pharaoh and his army come after them and they're filled with fear. And God does you know, something fairly surprising to them. He parts the Red Sea. They get across and then the sea comes down and, and, and wipes out Pharaoh's army. And, and then as they go through life and life happens, uh, uh, they find out that you know, life isn't always easy and they get a little hungry and they say, God, we could have stayed in Egypt and had all those foods that, uh, that we learned to enjoy. And, and so God provides them in a miraculous way with manna. And, and they get a little thirsty and then God provides that way with water. And, and you're thinking, well, God has done so many things for them. They're going to be so faithful and, and respond to him with obedience and commitment. And, and, and they say that, but then they begin to drift and they begin to drift and they begin to drift. And what I want to talk about today is, is surprised by God. And we look back and we're kind of surprised by those who are surprised by God after God has done so many things. And yet we need to realize that often when things don't go well in our world, we're surprised. Well, why doesn't God do something now to, to rescue us from whatever we're challenged with? Uh, surprised by God. There's a lot of surprises that happen in this world. In fact, if I were to begin this service and I wasn't going to do it that way, I was going to say, Happy New Year! And you're thinking, what in the world's gone wrong with the pastor? You know, this is, this is, this is not the beginning of the new year. But, but if you're Jewish, uh, Rosh Hashanah uh, happened on Friday. And it, it, was, it, was the ex, it was the proclamation of a new year. And if you know a little bit about the calendar of the Jewish people, you're thinking, well, that's a weird time to have the new year because it's the seventh month of the year. And yet, really what it was, it was celebrating God setting his people free. And Exodus chapter 12 has that, that whole recounterizing of, of the people of God and saying, no, this is the day I want you to remember. Rosh Hashanah means head of the year. It doesn't necessarily chronologically at the beginning, but it's the head of the year. This is the time when you recognize everything can now be new and fresh. And I've heard so many people, I can't wait till 2021, right? I just want to get through 2020. But really, what is new and fresh is not what specific day it is on the calendar, but who's leading the calendar, who's leading our life. And really what they do on Rosh Hashanah, they, 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 no matter how bad it's been, and right now in Israel, they're shutting down even more so than almost any country in the world right now. They're locking up for three weeks because of, 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 of a, a slash of, of, of covid exploding in their country and they're thinking this is the only way to, to deal with that. And that's right in the midst of a new year and it's, it's so counterintuitive and it's so surprising because as they begin the new year, 
You know, on Halloween, we, we put, uh, what do we put on apples? We candy apple them, right? Put, put, what do you put on? Caramel on, right? You put caramel on the apples and it's really sweet. Well, what they do is they take apples and they put honey on it. And it's a symbolic say, as we begin this new year, no matter what it's been like or even some of the challenges we know is going to happen, we're believing that God's going to give us a sweet new year. And no matter how unfestive they feel on that day, they take out, they take out a musical instrument, and I have one at, it's a mini one, but it's a shofar, and they start blowing the trumpet, and they're proclaiming, you know, good news, this is going to be a great year, and they explode with enthusiasm. And, and at this point, particular time, one of the challenges for the people in Israel is that can, can we celebrate when now they've locked everything down? Can we really anticipate a, a great new year, a sweet new year? And, and they, by faith, have to proclaim, happy new year, happy new year. Uh, there are others who have been surprised in a spiritual level. And we get surprised all the time with all kinds of different things that might happen in our life. Am I speaking fast? Okay, yeah, yeah I feel like I am. I'm feeling, I can't even understand what I'm saying. All right, so... You know, uh, there's a book called Surprised by Joy. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote that a while back. And, and C.S. Lewis, uh, this is right in the midst of, you know, World War II and all kinds of things he was going through. And, and he said, I'm surprised by joy. Right in the midst of suffering and things going wrong. And, and, and really what he discovered, and I was going to go through some things on that. He discovered that, you know, joy is not pleasure experience. But it, it's something that you come to the point in your life you recognize that you, you were made for so much more. And, and that more is to recognize that you can have a, a living, vital relationship with God who in the midst of whatever's happening in this broken world, because of his presence in your life, you, you have this joy that he says it's, it's indescribable and yet it's there. There's all kinds of things we can be surprised by. And some of you might be surprised by this if you've been at Grace Hills Church for any length of time. Um, you know, I, I've told you over and over again that if you, if you looked at the gender of angels, now there really isn't a gender for angels, but as we think if, if you were to put a gender to angels, because the only two that are named, um, you have Gabriel and Michael, the archangel. So if you were to say an, the gender of an angel, you'd have to say they are male, right? And I've said to you over and over and over again. And, and also you look at even their characteristics and, you know, the surprise about that when an angel would show up, most of the time it was a surprise. And the first words out of his, their mouths were, do not be afraid. So when we think about all these, and I have two beautiful grandchildren, you know, uh, I mean three, but, <laughs> but I mean two little girls that are grand. And, and Addison's uh, birthday was celebrated yesterday and how cute she is. And you want me to show pictures? I can't show pictures up here. But anyway, you know, and oh, what, a, what a little angel. And she is a little, well, she's not an angel because all angels are, are what? Male. Some of you didn't want to say that. Okay, well, anyway, so, but yeah, often we think of, you know, little girls that are so beautiful and cute and things like that. They're, they're so angelic. And yet, the only two angels in the Bible that are named are Gabriel and, and Michael. However, I, I, I was reading about this little girl who was, who was correcting her pastor and says, well, you know, there are, there are girl angels in the Bible. And, in fact, they're actually named. And, and I can tell you their names. One of them is Sarah, and the other is Cher. And they have last names. Sheriff Fem and Sheriff Dim. 
So those who have a little bit of a Bible background, there are cherubim and seraphim in the Bible. The, 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 more, the most often word we use for angels are angelos. That's the Greek word for translate angels. And the word angel simply means a messenger. And, and really, there is no gender for the angels. But uh, let me tell you, if, you, if you're going to be angelic, you know, sometimes when, when you're around people, uh, they're, they're going to be a little fearful of you. Why? Because maybe you're giving a message they don't want to hear. And, and sometimes that's what we need to do is, is present the gospel to, to people who might be resistant. And do it in a loving, caring way. But uh, a, a, an angel, if you were to translate that word, simply means messenger. And there are heavenly messengers and there are earthly messengers. And, and when we act like Jesus and talk like Jesus, uh, then we're angelic because we're getting across his message to people who so desperately need it. And so we can be surprised in a lot of different ways. Just in life, we can be surprised that this is the new year. At least if you're living in Israel, you can be surprised that, that there's a joy that you can have when everything's going wrong. You can be surprised that really there are, there are angels with, with girl names, Sarah and Cher. Uh, but really what I want us to recognize today is that we can be surprised by God. So, surprised by really understanding really who he is beyond the superficial. But really what we're going to look at today is be surprised a little bit by, by, by what he does and how he does it. And, and we've just finished a section in which the people of, of, of God were, were a little surprised how, how, how demonstrative he was in handing out discipline. They had, they had, in a short period of time, 40 days, rebelled and rejected the, the revelation of the true knowledge of, of the living God and they, they had reduced him to a, a little idol statue, a, a golden calf. And when Moses came down, I, the anger of God was expressed and, and the holiness of God was expressed. And there, there was a disciplinary movement by God and, and he took 3,000 men and, and they, they, were, they were killed by the Levites, the, the priests who, who decided that they would, they would, the ones who were going to become priests, that they would, they would obey God and deal with the unholiness in the nation. And, and let me just let's share this a little bit of surprise for some. Some people look at the Bible and they think, well, you know, it's kind of chauvinistic. You got the men, you got the women, and, and it seems like the men always have the elevated, you know, position of power, responsibility. But I want you to know that the, the men are held to a higher accountability before God. You don't see 3,000 women being taken out that way. It was, it was the men. And it doesn't mean that women or, or you know, one gender is more spiritual than the other, but some are held to a higher accountability and responsibility. And that's, that's why men need to, to man up in terms of, of, of leading spiritually. We're held to more accountability and responsibility. And, and so the men were taken out. And, and God later on sent a plague, and we don't know how many else in the nation of Israel were were impacted in a demonstrative way because they had fallen away from God, but it, it was a surprise to everyone. And, and they were finally waiting to the marching orders. Okay, now let, let's, get, let's get in on all that you've promised to. Let's get to the, what kind of land? The promised land. And so, okay, we've messed up. We're not going to do that again. Let, let's take off. And, and yet within this, there, there are a few surprises that happen. And if we were dealing with Sesame Street, this, this message is going to be given to you by the letter R, Okay. And it's really talking about the actions of God. But, but really what this message is about in terms of application is that God has called his people, both genders, all right, to, to recognize that we, we are, recognize he is the one in charge and that we are responsible. And, and what God does, he, he tests our faith so our faith would become mature. 
And so when we go through a year like 2021 and, or whatever might happen, I mean 2020 and whatever might happen in 2021 and, and you know, a lot of people are nervous about the election and all kinds of things like that. Uh, we, we don't know what the future is, but we know who holds the, the future. And our trust is in him and no matter what happens, and, and we ought to do our part, we're responsible to be, do our part. But whatever, whatever happens, God is in charge and we are responsible to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. That, that we are to display the love of Christ. And, and, and we are to, in our attitude and actions, be the people of God. And, and rescue people from what's most important. Being rescued from their sin. And, and so what does God do? And we're, we're going we're gonna to race through this. I feel like I'm still talking fast, all right? Well, in Exodus chapter 33, we, we have the, the next part of the story. They're, they're looking forward to go to the promised land. What's God going to do? Well, he's going he's gonna to show up and he's just going to be on a white horse and he's going to hit, hit charge and we're all going to follow him. Well, that's not exactly what happens. It, it surprises everybody. And the first thing I want to share is that, first of all, as they go out, God refuses to lead his people for a period of time. Uh, and I'm just going to read certain sections of this. Your, part of your homework assignment is to read the entire chapter slowly, all right? Uh, in Exodus 33, it says this, Then the Lord God spoke to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to you, to your sins I will give it. Good news. But then he says, he gives a little detail here, and they might have missed the detail. Have you, have you ever had that experience where you're reading something really important and, and you read a little bit faster than you should and there, there's, a, there's, a, there's something in the, in, the, in the fine print that, that you missed? And if you missed that fine print, Warren's smiling over here because he does all kinds of documents like that. If you don't get to fine print and a legal document, it could, it could cost you everything in terms of what you're thinking you're going to get. Because what he says here, he says, okay, depart. And then he says... Uh, I'm going to send an angel, an angel before you. And I don't know if it was Sarah or Cher or Gabriel or Michael, but he said, I'm going to send you one of my mess. I'm not going with you. And then he goes on a little bit further in verse 3, and he kind of says, why? Forget the kind of, he does say why. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst. Why? Because you're an obstinate people. Okay, I've heard, they've heard that before, and that, another way to translate that, you're, you're a stiff-necked people. In other words, you, you know, it, it, you, I think we've all experienced people that you can, you can tell people a lot, but it doesn't mean they're not actually, they're actually listening, right? And I share with you, that happens all the time when I'm preaching, all right? I, I can be talking like crazy, but that doesn't mean you're listening. And, and they were stiff-necked people. God was speaking to them, and he says, you're obstinate. And then he says this, this is pretty surprising. I'm not going with you. Because if I did, I might destroy you on the way. Now, I, it, it, this is a different H word than sometimes we think of an H word. But it, it, God's saying, I might destroy you on the way. This is his chosen people. He just said, I'm going to get you in the promised land. But if I really went really close with you, I would take you all out. That sounds a little what? Harsh, scary, right? That's kind of surprising. God is saying to his people, I want you to know, you want me to go with you, and I kind of want to go with you too, but, but if I would, I, right now, the way I feel about you, and we can't totally understand how God's feelings works with his, his character, but God is always consistent with his character and what he does. But he says, if I went with you, I would destroy you on the way. In the next few verses, the, the, the people start to mourn and all kinds of things like that. And he, but basically, he said, look, it, it, it's good for you that 
that I'm not going to be with you like you've experienced that in the recent past. Now, now why does God do this? And if you think about it, I'm looking at two clocks here, is that if you look at the scripture and God in a theological way, he says, I'm not going to be with you. Well, we know that God is spirit. He's not limited like we are with our physical presence because we have an earth suit on, a body here, right? And we can't be in two places at... It's our, help me out or I'll start all over. We can't, we can't be in two places at once because we're limited right now. We can't be two places at once. And he says, I'm not going with you. Now, initially you think, okay, he's just going to be off on the side here. But, but we know, Psalm 139, if you want to read the rest of that text, God is, where's God? He's, he's everywhere, right? He's everywhere. But he said, look, it, I want you to know, in, in, in the sense of my closeness or my being right next to you in terms of your experience, I, I'm going to back away. Now, we see an example of this, and we're not going to be able to read the passage because I've already taken too long in the introduction, is that in Mark chapter, in Mark chapter 6, you know, Jesus was here. And when Jesus was here, uh, this was God becoming man. And in uh, the Trinitarian God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God visited this planet, God the Son. And when he was here, he, he did not, he not give up any of his deity when he was here, but he, he gave up the independent use of all of his attributes. So when he was physically in the body of Jesus, he wasn't everywhere at once. And, and so we have a little bit of a picture here, and yet he was still God, is that there were times when he was with the disciples, he said, I, I'm, I'm going to leave you alone. Uh, my presence is not going to be with you like you've experienced it, you know, uh, once I called you out. And in Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 53, and you want a longer portion, read all of John chapter 6. But in Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 53, Jesus has just done the miraculous. He fed the 5,000. We didn't bring quite that much food for here for afterwards. But I mean, there were 5,000 people who were hungry, and he fed them all miraculously. Now, they were pretty pumped after that. They were pretty excited. They'd just seen the power and presence of God. And now they're going on to the next thing. And Jesus said, hey, Take off, get in the boat, and go across the Sea of Galilee. But, but I'm going to stay here. And, and I'm going to stay here because I'm going to pray to my Father. Now, once you've been with Jesus, you never wanted not to be around Jesus. Would you agree with that? I mean, if you're with Jesus, I don't want it to be taken off. And, but, and, and you could, if I had been, you know, I, there's a part of me that um, can be a little contentious and I like to argue or whatever it might be. I'd be saying, look, at, I'll stick around. I'll pray with you. But that was not Jesus' plan here because he, he was going to test their faith. He was going to refuse to go with them. And so they take off and a storm happens and, and, and they're getting, and it, it's, it's, it's dark at night and, and they are just, they're filled with fear. And all of a sudden they, they see a figure like a ghost coming across and he's, he's going to go past them. He knows what was happening. And all of a sudden they call out, it's Jesus. And this is the story of Peter getting out of the boat. It's not found in this one. He starts to walk in the water, gets his eyes off Jesus, starts, starts to drown. Lord, save me. But, but, but what I want to say about this, there's so much, you, that's a whole sermon in itself, but, but I want you to know there, there are times, surprised by God, there are going to be times in your life, you're going to look around and say, where's Jesus? And not where's Waldo, but where's Jesus? He, he doesn't seem to be, he's not fixing what's wrong around me or fixing what's happening nationally or worldwide. And you go, where's Jesus? And, and there's a time 
because maybe our actions or just what he's doing to test people's faith, he's going to refuse to be there. And, and they didn't do too well. In fact, Jesus said, look, did you, didn't you just see I did the miraculous? I fed the 5,000 with nothing. You don't think I can take care of you if I'm not in the boat? Didn't you learn anything from your experience of walking with me and I'm walking with you? And, and so as we think about surprise by God, no matter what you're going through or people you care about going through, I, I want you to recognize that, that our God is, is everywhere at once. But there are times intentionally, and it's illustrated in Jesus' day, but it's also illustrated in the days of, of Moses, that he refuses to go. And quite frankly, sometimes that's a good thing. Have you experienced the times that people you really love and care about, when they're a certain mood, when they're, 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 their vein here is pretty, pretty prominent, it's better to what? Get away, right? I don't think this is the time to have a real lengthy, deep conversation. And there's times where God is like that. I mean, he's always under control. We're not going to be able to balance all out. But God refuses to be his people because if, if you really understand where, what's happening now in my heart, I would destroy you on the way. So I'm going to send an angel to go with you. But sometimes God just allows us to test our faith to mature our faith. But, but then it goes on a little bit further. I just want, this one's kind of an implied point. But not only does he refuse to lead his people for a period of time, he restricts access for people to be near him. And the reality, again, it's that contention. God's everywhere, but there are times where we don't feel particularly close to him. And you might have heard that phrase, if, if, uh, if you don't feel close to God, guess who what? Guess who moved? Well, it's usually us, but sometimes God chooses to move away from, to test our faith, to grow our faith. Exodus uh, 33, beginning at verse 7. Now, now Moses used to take up a tent and pitch it outside the, the camp. And, and so really you have Moses saying, well, I guess if he's not going to be with you, I, I better not talk with God amidst all the people. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this prayer closet outside the tent because God's already expressed, if I'm around my people, my anger, my wrath against sin might pour out. So, so he, he pitches the tent outside the camp a good distance from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. It's not the tabernacle. It hadn't been built. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out of the tent meeting, which was outside the camp. So if they were going to meet with God, they, they had to take a trip. Now, we don't have to do it because you know what God has done? He, in the New Testament, God has pitched a tent and that tent is our own body. That our bodies is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. But, but, but this is a picture in which God says, like, there, there are times where where I'm, I'm not going to draw near to you but because there's some things in your life that have to change. You know, in James chapter 4, 7 through 10, we, we have these words. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. And, but for us to draw near to Him, what do we have to do? Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of God and he will exalt you. So when we think about God restricting access for his people to be near him, uh, part of it is to test their faith, but on our part is to see what is it we need to be, be prepared to be in his presence in a near way. And, and you can highlight any of that, those words in James chapter 4. Uh, we need to humble ourselves before God. Uh, recognizing that we don't deserve to be in His presence only because of His work in our life can we be in His presence. 
we need to recognize that we need to have clean, just hold your hands up for a moment. That's just to make sure you're listening to me. All right, yeah, hold, hold up your hands. Well, you know, we, we've all taught children before they, they go to the table to eat, they're supposed to wash their hands, right? But we, when we prepare ourselves to be in the table in which God wants to speak into our lives, we've we got to wash our hands. We've got to see if there's any, is there any unconfessed sin in our lives? Is there anything that we need to get right before God? Because God restricts our nearness when, when we, we harbor sin in our life. And so th- there needs to be a part of prayer in which it's not only praying specifically on behalf of needs of people, whatever it might be. Say, God, what is it in my life? What is it in my life that's just not right? What are some things I've said and I've done? What are some things that just you, you need to deal with? You need, you, need to, you, you need to work in my life before you start working all the things that I'm mostly concerned about. You know, on those response cards each week, there's a place for prayer requests. You know, pray for me. I just yelled at my life, my wife a lot this week. Will you help me to do a lot better job on that, you know? Uh, pray for me. I, I had a horrible attitude at work, and, I, and I'm really struggling there. Lord, Lord help me. I, I'm becoming very selfish, self-centered in my life. Lord, I, I, I'm becoming, I, I'm just consumed by things. And I, I, I mean, there's all kinds of sins, right, that we could confess and even have other people know about it to pray for us on the things we're struggling with. And when we don't deal with sin in our life, the nearness of God is not there. And, and he, was, he was given an object lesson. Look at I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refuse to go with you for a period of time. And God's always there, but you're not going to sense my presence. But then not, not only if you realize, okay, I'm present. Look, I can just see out there Moses is talking with you. And later on in that section, the reason he was able to, because he was a friend of God and they talked face to face. So they, they recognized his presence, but they didn't feel that near because they had to be outside. So what are we surprised by God? He, he, he at times refuses to, to lead us because there's some things that need to be cleaned up and at times we don't feel him near. But the, here, here's the good news. God, God returns to his people. Look at Exodus 33, uh, beginning of verse 12. And, and here we, we have the, the coming back in a real way, in a present way with them. Then the Lord said, then Moses said to the Lord, see you uh, and say to me, bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. I mean, an angel of the Lord, but that's not good enough. Verse 13, now therefore I pray you, this is Moses praying to the living God, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider too, this is the nation your people. We need to have you here. We need to have you return. And so then God speaks, and this is the, uh, uh, it's not the red letter edition, that's Jesus' word, I don't know what other color you want to put, here's the purple letters in the Bible. And he said, my presence, this is God speaking to Moses, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. And he says this directly to Moses, but Moses doesn't quite get it, because in verse 15 he says, then he, Moses, said to him, God, Yahweh, if, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. So basically, he's now, he's now testing God. God said, look, if, if you're not going to be with us, we can't go. And then he goes on and explains why that's so important. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight and I and your people? Is it not by you going with us so that we and I, your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? And so you have this... It, interchange between Moses, the friend of God, speaking on behalf of the people of God, but speaking not only for himself, but, but corporately. He said, look, 
we need you to be with us. We need to have you return to us so that we are distinguished among all the things that we are people that God goes with us. You know, there's, there's so many different things in which this presence of God is accentuated in the New Testament. Jesus, when he, when he left, and we quoted this passage a few weeks ago, as he gives out the marching orders, you know, the Great Commission, he says, at the end he says, I want you to make disciples everywhere. And, and they're pretty freaked out with that. And he says, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And, and really, when you, when you look at the disciples who were given the first commission to go out, and you look at their life, and they weren't a particularly impressive group. You know, uh, when I look in the mirror, uh, every, you know, before Sunday, I said, this is not a very impressive pastor. And sometimes, depending on what mood I'm in, I'm looking out at you, and you're not that impressive people either, you know. <laughs> and, and so, w- w- what, what makes a church, uh, you know, significant? W- what made the disciples significant? They, they, weren't, they weren't well educated compared to other people. They didn't have responsible positions of power. Uh, they were not, they were based, many of them were just fishermen. Or they, they had positions that were not particularly honorable. They were, they were zealots trying to take people's lives. Or they're tax collectors taking on other things. But, but in Acts chapter 4 verse 13, we have the description of, um, of these people uh, by the people who are watching a dramatic change in their life. In Acts chapter 4 uh, verse 13 uh, we have these words described of, of Peter, James, and John. And it says this. Um, now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed. Now, a lot of times you hear speakers come up, if it's not someone you've already heard before, you know, they'll come up and they'll give, a, they'll give an introduction, Right? And the more things they can say about this person that's impressive, whether it's a man or a woman, the more impressive things they can say about him, you're more motivated or tempted to what? Listen, because of their credentials. And so as they're, as they're hearing these people, particularly Peter and John, and, and they're, they're just talking with all kinds of boldness and confidence, and, and people are responding to what they're saying, so this doesn't make sense. They have nothing in their portfolio. They have nothing in their introduction for people to want to listen. They're uneducated and they're untrained. And yes, but, but we're amazed by this. It's not based on who, how impressive they are. But then it simply says this. And they began to recognize them as simply having been with who? Jesus. And so really, that, that's our credential. When, when we go out to try to live it and, and share it, and express it with attitudes and actions. The most impressive credential is that we've been with Jesus. And that's one of these things that we can all do, right? doesn't matter what our background was or what, what formal training we've had, what experience we've had in the past. Is this be with Jesus now. And we're with Jesus now it makes a difference. And we won't read the passage, but in Acts chapter 4, verse 31, they go on and say, look at now as you think about it, because Jesus took off, the reason they were so significant is that they're now controlled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells within them. And so Jesus, God returns by, by sending Jesus. God returns in Moses' day by showing up, and God returns now by sending us His Spirit. And if we have the Spirit of God living within us, it, it's a surprise that, that our lives can be totally changed. Now, because of time, I'm just going to 
I'm just going to summarize the, the Exodus passage in chapter 33. But as we think about you know, the R's, he, he refused to lead them for a period of time. And, and then he rejected being close to them. And, and they weren't near. And the, the temple, the, the tent where God was, God's presence was going to manifest and was outside the city. And people can only observe him and experience him from afar. And sometimes that's our experience. And, and, and then God comes through. He shows up and he returns by the, by the prayer and the humbleness of Moses. But Moses is, is, is still a little overwhelmed by the task that's going to come. And that's our experience as well at times. So now what he does is he, God reveals himself a little bit more fully. And I, and I will read at least a number of the passages in Exodus chapter 33 as this chapter concludes. Then the Lord said to Moses, uh, What you have spoken, I have found favor in my sight, and, and I have known you by name. And Moses said, I pray you show me your glory. And really what, he, what Moses is saying here, he's saying, look at, I, I, I've been in your presence. I've seen you do the miraculous. I, I've seen what you've done in my life. I've seen what you've done for us as a nation. But, but right now I'm still feeling totally inadequate. I, I, I know you, but I want to know you more. I, I want to see your glory. Now, we, we don't use that language in our day, you know, show me your glory. But the, the word glory act, literally comes from a word that means heaviness. I, I, want, to see, I want to see the substance I want to see the significance of you. I, I want to see your, your character and your attributes in a, in a much deeper way. And God, in the conversation with Moses, says, well, you know, I'm not sure you can handle this. You know, remember that movie? I want the truth. You can't handle the, you know, I, I want your glory. And God says, you can't handle the glory. It would wipe you out. He said, I'll, I'll just give you a little peek as far as who I am. And, and the glory of God manifests all around Moses. And really the picture I hear is really the idea is that is we think about what is our challenge. Our challenge, once we become a follower of Jesus Christ, is, okay, we know him now, but we want to know him more tomorrow and the next day and the day after that. We want to understand more deeply who he is. And we're not talking about just data points. It doesn't mean that, okay, I can't know his glory unless I've memorized as many verses as the children. How many verses have they memorized now? Four, and they're on their fourth one today, all right? All right, well, you might not memorize as many verses as the children, but, but if you're spending time with God, it's going to change your life because His glory makes a difference. I want to read one passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Some of, uh, I think online I got a chapter 4, and I had to change it by hand in every one of your outlines. But Exodus, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says this, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty or freedom. But as we all with unfailed face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Now it's complicated biblical language simply say this. You know, when we look in a mirror, and particularly if we have any devices with us, whatever we, how we're looking when we first look in the mirror, hopefully can be maybe improved. You know, if our hair's not combed, maybe we can comb it a little bit. If we got dirt on our face, we can, we can wash it. If, if, if we need to paint it and make it look a little bit better because we painted it, you know, whatever my, We can change how we look if we look in the mirror and do something with what we see. And really what it's saying here is, look, I'm not, I want you to understand when you see Jesus, it changes everything. It reveals who you are and who he is and what he wants you to become like. And, you know, in, in the Beatitudes, Jesus said, you know, um, 
You know, the pure in heart will see God. When God changes on the inside, it changes what we do on the outside. And the Bible says in 1 John 3, 21, when we we see Jesus, when he comes again, when he fully returns, we'll be like him because we'll see him as he really is. what's what's, What's the point I want to share with you this morning? Is that we should constantly be surprised by God because we're seeing him new and fresh every day. And we need to recognize that there's going to be journeys that are surprising to us. There are going to be times where we we feel God is far away. And and we don't know all the reasons why God refuses his presence to be experienced in a manifest way. Other than we know that God will use that to test our faith and mature our faith. We don't don't understand why at times the the nearness of God is not there. He, He resists us coming close, but... He's given us a clue there because there's some things in our life that need to be changed and, and we, gotta, we gotta own it. We gotta, we gotta confess it. We gotta humble ourselves before him if we're gonna be changed. We can look forward to the realities that, that God always wants to return to his people and, and, and since the time of Moses, we know that, that God's spirit always dwells among his people. We're not always filled and controlled by it, but he's there and we just need to run to him. But we need to recognize it's not simply for the purpose of, of, of just knowing the facts about God. It's about, he's here to transform us. That, that, that our lives need to be constantly changed. That, that we be, need to become more like him so that people can see him more clearly. And there'll be all kinds of challenges unique to each person. But, but as we think about God manifesting himself to the people of God and Moses in that day. There, there were some surprises. There, there were times he re- refused to lead them, at least in a manifest way. He resisted their closeness because there were some things that needed to change. He, he promised he would return. At that point, Moses didn't, he couldn't even believe him the first time he said it because he kept going arguing his case. Have you ever had that happen where, you, where someone already agreed to what you asked them to do and you kept on arguing for your case and saying, look, I've already said yes. What, do you, what else do you want me to do? Uh, and, then, and then as Moses got in, he, he got the right picture. I, I, I need to see you more deeply and clearly. I want to see your glory, not just have some experience, but I, I need to be changed so I can be and do what you want me to do. So the question I have for all of us is, uh, are you being surprised by God? Or has is, is God become so routine to you that it's just like you're going through the motions? And, and, and you're, not, you're not anticipating, what does God have for me next? What does God want me to be and to do now? What, what's, what, can, I, what can I anticipate in, in my future to be a person that, that really demonstrates? Just like, remember Peter and John? Who are these people? They're uneducated. They're untrained. There's, there's nothing significant about them. Oh, oh, that's right. They've been with who? Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we, we want to be a people who have been with Jesus. And of course, to be with Jesus, we have to know Jesus. And, and that's a challenging thing right at the start, isn't it? Because as we look at our own heart, have we ever made that commitment to him where we've acknowledged our sin Or he said, God, deal with my sin. Forgive me of that which keeps my relationship with you distant. 
I want to know you. Come into my life and change me on the inside. But once we make that commitment, it doesn't, it doesn't stop there. It's that passion to say, God, I, I, want to, I want to live out the life you've called me to live. I want to live that out because you live within me. I, I, I don't want to be unsurprised by what you want to do in my life next and the, the people you want me to influence. Not because of how good I am or how great I am, but because I've been with Jesus. His spirit lives within me. And I want to glorify the Father who's filled Filled with a glory that is so significant that it makes my life significant as well. And I praise in Jesus' name. Amen.